Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. We're in a series, um, we've been in for the last couple weeks, called Foolproof. Foolproof. Uh, and by faith, some of you who have faith for miracles, you can start praying for this TV right now uh, that it works. Because I put to work my grade 10 computer science degree. Uh, that class that I got a C minus in, and I made my own graphic, a little diagram that I'm, I'm quite proud of. Uh, it's, it's legible and it worked. And I won't tell you how long it took because that may question the stewardship of my time. Um, here we go. We're in a series called Foolproof, where we've been taking time to look at this idea of the last two years have been kind of interesting. Understatement, correct? Where it, I know with working with young people, there's been no shortage of, I'll say, advice, wisdom out there of how to live, of how to handle, of what to do. And, and it can seem kind of comical until there's a sober... Um, reflection of our own hearts and our lives because there's in anything like that there can be the outside like oh that's clearly crazy it doesn't make sense but there's other things that begin to just settle into our lives and before we know it it begins to direct our lives and and we're looking at this series of how the the, wisdom literature pastor ryan kind of elaborated a little bit more last week on this idea that the proverbs or ecclesiastes or job they're not promises they're principles And what I mean by that, it's not that if you do this, you're absolutely guaranteed to get what it says the way you interpret that it would happen, right? They're they're biblical principles, ways to live life. And it's interesting when it comes to Proverbs is I actually know people who know nothing about Jesus, don't believe in him, but put to work the principles of Proverbs, and it actually works for them. I met a business guy that tithes back in the church on the island. He'd come and he'd drop off his tithe, but he'd never come to church, Kind of asked about it. Oh, I don't believe in God. I just, you know, I want God to bless my business, which was a really funny, uh, funny statement. But there's some, some principles that we look at that are, are pretty kind of narrowed in, right? Like, hey, here's how to deal with conflict within your family. Like, pretty specific. Like, that's pretty far down in the Google search, right? Or it's like, hey, how do you handle friendship or finances? Or how do you handle if someone kills your cow? Like, there's some things that are, like, pretty specific for how do you grieve when your whole family dies and everything you own burns and now you have sores. That's a little bit of Job. If you haven't read the book of Job, I'm not saying that's for you. Um, But then there's other Proverbs that are a little bit more wide-sweeping, a little bit broader. And today I want to look at what, again, I don't don't know if it's 100% or not, but I want to look at what I believe to be one of the widest spreading Proverbs out there. And as I begin to read it, some of you, you've seen this at your mom's house and the nice black letters stickered to the wall. Maybe your grandma's house knitted on a sweater or crocheted or something like that. You know, like, you know, love, love built this. Like all this, my, I can joke, my mom's watching this. She loves uh, those things on the wall. And, and I, I don't mind them. But what I love more than them being on the wall is teasing my mom about putting them on the wall. <laughs> and so anytime we get together, we always have some joke for her. But Proverbs, I want to invite you into two passages of Scripture today. One will be in Proverbs will be in Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up th- to that. But we're going to invite you first into Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all, turn to your neighbor, say all, of your heart. Do not lean. Yes. Oh, in the back of my mind, can we just give a hand to our tech team? There was some serious concern that you wouldn't get to benefit from my PowerPoint skills. And that's just not fair to anyone. And so you'll be blessed no matter what now because by faith will be a slide. But trust in the Lord. And it went away. (laughs) There we go. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all, turn your neighbor, say all. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he 
will then in turn, when we are faithful to trust with all of our heart, to refuse or refrain from leaning on our own understanding in situations, and in everything we do, give him credit and glory and represent him, acknowledge him, the promise is that he will make your path straight. The journey of your life, where you go, that he is then invested to a greater degree and able. And it's not that when we do this, it's like we earn God's provision. It's that we step into his provision that's always been available for us. It's wisdom. It's how to live everyday life in wisdom. See, this Proverbs invites us to learn to do three things, to trust the Lord, all of your heart, understanding that he actually has a much better handle on the things and the issues of your heart. And more than your control, you can trust him with your heart. To not lean on your own limited understanding that his understanding for life and how to live it is so much greater than ours. And as a kid, this can make sense. You know how I, what I find this to be a little bit more difficult? The older I get. Because the more understanding that we gain and accumulate, the more we know of scripture, we can actually get to the point where we think our understanding is maybe on par. Where it's easier to revert back to what I think versus to a fresh and a new say, God, what, what would you say in these situations? And in all of my ways, in all that we do, acknowledge that our lives belong to Jesus and are because of Jesus. If someone were to watch any area of our lives, they should be able to come to the absolute conclusion of who we belong to. Man, that's a pretty, in, that's a pretty intense statement. That if someone were to come and visit and observe you for a week, they'd be like, oh, it's clear. You know, Keisha, she belongs to Jesus. That's just the way it is right? I don't know about you, but the past two years have made it a little bit more difficult than I've ever experienced to live out and obey these three asks of the Lord. And I was listening to a podcast the other day. The guy just kind of just briefly described the last two years because I, I hesitate to go into it because I feel like all we've heard is like, well, you know, the pandemic, pandemic. And it's like, okay, we get it. We get it. Move on. And I've talked to people and I've thought this thought myself, like, I get it. I'm good. Let's move on. If you don't hear anything else, please hear this. You are not good. I'm not okay. Your heart is not okay. It's not to bring shame or guilt, but it's to acknowledge what we as a society, as families and individuals have gone through Family, we're not okay. In all of our ways, acknowledge him, we're not okay. But the hope of Jesus is that we are not left to our own vices, our own skills to heal ourselves. We had a worldwide pandemic that lost millions of lives tragically. We have violent political division all around us. Racial and social unrest and justice is rampant and, and conversations about it. Not only loss of lives, but then the disruption of all of our lives as we have imperfect people trying to do whatever they can to make sense of this pandemic that's affected us all in positive and negative in different ways. And that opinions about how that's done has turned families against each other. This is what we've lived in. And of course, the growing division of opinions on how to deal with it. We have war overseas causing fear and division of how we should deal do with that and what's going on, soaring cost of living in all these different areas, wondering, I know families that are, are, are contemplating, am I going to be able to keep my home? And the list goes on. That's not just a few things that we have got through. On one hand, you should just thank Jesus, you're still here. <laughs> but as I begin to, to prepare for this, please hear my heart was through tears of realizing, God, I'm not okay. There's areas of my heart that have been so shaped by this and not in a positive way. And family, I would submit to you today that you're not okay. 
Because God will not force himself and bully himself into areas of your life to transform that one, you won't acknowledge and two, you won't surrender. With only one of those things, the temptation to go back to our old way of operating or trusting or understanding or living would be tempting. But with all of those things in place, and by simple observation of our own lives around us, it's fair to say that we've struggled to live Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6 out. And again, my heart today in this, I, I, I struggle with how to communicate this. Today's message is not a do-better message. Because I don't believe that's the message of the gospel. My hope today is to bring hope and a fresh understanding or to remind you of the goodness of what Jesus did for us. And because of that, what is available to you and to me. And so in any moment where maybe if I step on your toes, hear me, the heart and the message is not do better. That doesn't do anyone any good. In the areas where I'm confronted with scripture, the God says, Daniel, you're called to a higher standard. Partnered with that is the gospel that is powerful enough to help me live that out. And the question I would like us to ask all day, we looked at love the Lord with all your heart, trust the Lord with all, all your understandings. What does it look like to love God with all? See, if we're called to love and follow Jesus with all of ourselves, if Jesus wants to bring direction, empowerment, and blessing to all areas of our lives, I think it begs asking the question, what does all look like? You know, we just sang a song saying, I surrender all. What comes to mind when you say that? Better yet, is there anything that you don't include in that? This is a question I've been mulling over for the past few months. And I'd like to pray before we continue. Then we're going to jump and invite you into the New Testament, into Ephesians. Holy Spirit, we just take a moment to acknowledge that you're here. And in the midst of that, in the safety and the, the wholeness of what you bring, we are liberated from the fear of saying, God, we are not okay. Lord, there's areas where I still trust my own wisdom or understanding. Areas where I still struggle to trust and follow your word because I just don't think it's going to turn out well and I need to control things. Lord, there's areas where I still lean into and desire and live out of an attempt for comfort, an attempt for a career building versus living out of the reality of the calling that you've called us to. So God, I ask that you would speak. Lord, I thank you that the things that you reveal to us, your Holy Spirit comes to renew and bring healing into. So Lord, I just trust that as we look at these areas of our lives, God, I'm trusting that you are more than able in the work of what Jesus did and through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to bring wholeness in every heart and life that would open up to you. So God, with expectant ears, with expectant hearts, we look to your words afresh this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So you're taking notes, what does all look like? We are title today, and I think it's a decent question because Paul actually answers this question, which tells me uh, he's not the only one. I'm not the only one. You're not the only one who's ever asked or wondered, what does it actually look like to, you know, all? Like, is that, like, does every minute, like the verses, like, pray without ceasing? It's like, do I have to be doing that nonstop? Can I ever listen to JRFM, even though I, I believe it's blessed by Jesus? Or, you know, <laughs> some of you just stop listening. Don't hate me. I was born on the island. It's in my blood. Um, but this idea, like, uh, it, what does all look like? How do we operate in that? And Paul addresses what does all look like for a follower of Jesus? What does a life look like? And I want to invite you into Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians is a beautiful, beautiful book um, that I'm pretty obsessed with. I find myself continually going back there. And, and, and Ephesians is broken up into kind of two main sections. There's the first three chapters, which you could kind of title it, 
a new reality in Jesus, where Paul uh, painstakingly with two of the longest sentences in the Bible starts to describe and explain what has taken place now that we are alive in Christ, this new reality that we live in. And then where we're getting into at the beginning of chapter four, he says, therefore, so in light of this new reality and then four to six begins just talk about new living. Because there's a new reality, we now are able and free to live differently. Not only are we able to, we are expected to, as we'll see. But Paul says this in Ephesians 4, verse 1. It says, therefore, again, therefore, very important, in light of everything I have just said. And you take some time to read Ephesians, but I would encourage you, Maybe take some time and find a commentary. I would, uh, Dale, or Daryl Johnson just put a new book on Ephesians. There's lots of good ones out there. At a, at a face level reading of Ephesians, I will admit, first chapter can be a little bit confusing. <laughs> it's a little bit like, ah, what's saying? And then you get halfway down and you're just lost. And we normally zoom right to Ephesians 2.10 where it's, yeah, he's got a plan for my life. I'm his workmanship. And then we'll jump to 3.20 like, exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask, think, or imagine. Those are great verses, but I want to let you know there's so much more in there for us. Uh, and sometimes it, it, it's just, it'll, it'll help us to, to lean into maybe something like a commentary that can help us kind of break it up and make sense of that. He says, therefore, prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What does it look like for all? When we learn to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which Jesus has called us, which we've been called. And then he gets into a little bit, which we'll get into with all humility and gentleness, talking about how you see yourself and how you handle other people with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace. Again, there's a lot in here, but we're going to focus in on that first verse today. This therefore is this transition that Paul is talking about in light of everything that Jesus has done for us, there are implications. Now, if you're like me, I wrestled with this this week. My tendency is to look at this and be like, <coughs> okay, God's done a lot for me, so now I owe him. Have you ever been there? Where like someone, you know, does something for you and you just know they're going to remind you that they did something for you? Anyone ever have a friend like that or parent where they're like, oh, here's this. You're like, what's the catch? Like, where are the strings attached? I think we take our jadedness or our wisdom, whatever it is from life experience, and we can impose that onto how we read the Bible if we're not careful. Because we can read this verse. It says, Paul's like saying, hey, listen, God's done so much for you. So clean it up. <laughs> Figure it out already. <laughs> right? Maybe just me. Maybe I'm just a little bit too hard on myself when I read it. But he says, in light of that, this new reality, I believe that Paul would say, yes, there is a weight that should weigh on us. There's an expectation to live differently, but more than the weight of expectation. Paul, again, this is the good news of the gospel. He's saying chapters one and three open doors of possibility to which you can't even imagine, to which was not possible for you. So it would be absolutely crazy to not live in, in light of that. Say, therefore, and then he goes on, a manner worthy. Again, in our culture, we look like, oh, I got to live up. I got to measure up. Paul isn't saying, hey, God has made all of this available to you, and if you would like to access it, you need to start living worthy. It's not the good news of the gospel. Paul is saying, family, Jesus has changed everything. And now because of that, because of everything he's given you long before you chose him, everything he's done for you, the reasonable, natural response would be to live in light of or coherent with or, or to the same degree and the same level as what's been given you. Where in the Greek, we see this kind of this word picture of the balancing scales. 
And it's just saying, hey, you've been, man, you've been, the possibilities of your life, the access to Jesus you've been given is so incredible. And now you actually get the possibility to walk in all of the goodness and the benefit and the blessing of that. So allow your living to match up to the blessings that you've been given. It'd be crazy to win the lottery and then continue to live in poverty. What, what Jesus is saying, much more in money, my goodness. He says there is a new reality of how to live that's been in, that you've been opened up to. And it's time to start living. Again, we're not going to go into Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. I encourage you to read it. But I just want to list some of those. Like, well, Daniel, what are you talking? In the first chapter of Ephesians alone, it says that we are blessed that Jesus, that God came, knelt down before us, and blessed us. This word picture we talked about at Father's Day of lifting up hands and offering a gift to us. It says that God came, kneeled down before us, and gave us the gift of his son. Jesus. That, he did, that was a blessing for it, blessed us in Jesus. It says that because of that, now that we are no longer outcasts, we get to be in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places is available to you now. Again, Daryl Johnson would say this, a lot of times we talk about eternal life and we relegate that to when we die and where we spend eternity. But he says it's probably more accurate to look at eternal living. You don't need to wait to heaven to access those blessings. What Paul is not saying is, hey, in Jesus, you get another addition up in that, in your, your mansion in heaven. Just keep living good and you'll get blessings one day. No, he's saying that everything that Jesus walked in is available to you and to me. We don't need to live according to the old way of living. We have a new reality in this. And in Jesus, he chose us. Long before we could choose him, he's adopted us into his families. We deserved hell and death, but he chose to love us instead. He brought redemption to us. He brings forgiveness to us. He gives us insight into situations that we can't imagine. There's a rich inheritance because you are now adopted in Christ Jesus. You are not limited to your family. You are not limited to your finances. You are not limited to the house you grew up in. This is good news. Your reality has changed. Everything is different. He goes on to say that we're known for this, that there's hope, there's inheritance, there's, there's power. And Ephesians 2 says, even when we were jacked up and messed up, God loved us instead. We didn't bring anything to this equation. God did it instead. And not only that, he doesn't just let us in. He gives us a plan and a purpose. He wants you to partner with him in his kingdom work. He says that you don't need to be limited to your own resources. You can think exceedingly above all that you could ask, think, or imagine. This is the new reality that we have, family. This is really, really, really good news. And Paul is saying, family, in light of that, Man, we need to live like that's true. We don't live worthy to gain it. Paul's trying to draw attention, say, family, you need to know what is already available to you. Because if you knew what was available to you in Christ, you'd never go back to your old way of living. You'd never go back to try to heal your own heart. You'd never go back to trying to prove your own significance. You would never go back to thinking you need to defend your honor and yourself because the Bible says that not only are you blessed in heavenly places, but God has taken you and he has seated you next to Christ in heavenly places. That is final. That no one can take that away from you. That our reality is completely different. Live life in a manner worthy. So Paul is saying for those of us who follow Jesus, how we live our lives should reflect everything that Jesus has done for us. This isn't a try better. This is a, oh, friends, open your eyes afresh and allow Holy Spirit to reveal to you all of the goodness that is in Christ Jesus as we are in Christ. But Paul, then he begins to speak to it. Again, again it, it still asks the question like, okay, well, what does living a manner, is that just Sundays? Is that just worshiping really hard? Is that not cussing as much? Or, ooh, maybe not at all. Like, what, what is it if I give a little bit of money? Is that, you know, 10% at a little 2% tip? Or like, what does all look like? 
And he actually goes on to define it later on in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 24, we'll look at. It says, now this I say, and testify in the Lord. It's the second kind of therefore. Paul says, okay, live a manner worthy, therefore you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Again, this, this word here repeats and walks, says walk in a manner worthy. It doesn't mean just to decide. It is not a moment. It's a continual verb that says we continue in this and we walk and, and it has in this tense, we walk as if we were following another, not in our own direction, not in our own deciding, but we walk and follow. And it says you, you must no longer, you used to walk as the Gentiles do. We'll get into a little bit what that means, but it's interesting. He's speaking to Jews and Gentiles here. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy practice of every kind and impurity. And, and I think it's, it, it's worth noting here. When he says you've lived as the Gentiles do, the futility of their mind, what Paul is trying to get at is the Gentiles would live as if God were not part of the reality. And when it comes to the human heart and the human soul, we live life as if there was no God. We turn to greed. We turn to sensuality. We turn to greediness and purity to try and give us what only God can. It's not that they're terrible people. It's that they're human. And life apart from God will always find you here. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. We're going to come back to this taught in him and learn Christ. So just kind of bookmark that. We'll go to the next. You are then to put off your old self. Colossians 3 talks about this as well. Which belongs to your former manner of living, the way you lived life, how you carried yourself was according to the belief and the futility of the mind of Gentiles, which lived as if there was no God. So in all the areas, the manners of your life, you used to live that way, but you put that off. Man of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirits of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says first we're called to put off. What does it look like to trust the Lord with all your heart and all your ways to acknowledge him? Lean not on your own understandings. There's a process when we come to Jesus of learning to put off the old operating system of our lives. How we used to do things. Paul lists here the way the Gentiles in the futility of your minds, but in early the book, he actually reminds us of what that looked like. Not just that, don't be like those people over there. Paul in Ephesians 2 actually says, you were all those people. And we read, and I love the way we're going to read it. I don't normally do this, but uh, Eugene Peterson just puts it beautifully in the message in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Because so I think this gives us a picture of what we're supposed to put off. It says, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world... And that world's speaking to this idea that God does not exist. Therefore, we are gods in our life and we are responsible to provide and to find the desires of the human heart and human soul, significance, meaning, love. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, to tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhale disobedience. Why do we look to the word of God for truth to lead us and guide us, Lord, the light of our path? Because unbelief will always lead to disobedience. When you don't believe right or understand right, you will never live right. And this is why I think it's so beautiful what Paul is doing, why we're taking time today to remind us afresh of what is available to us in the new reality of Jesus. Because if we are unaware or we forget, we will live as if that is the case. He says, we all did it. None of us. All. All of us doing what we felt like doing. When we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. 
It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. I feel like this here, this last verse, you filled your lungs, or maybe not that one, but we go from we all, that could have been written for the last two years of the church. I know for sure it can be my life. When I started by saying we're not okay, how many times did we allow the pressure of whatever we were going through cause us to do what we felt like doing? Cause us to say what we wanted to say or what we thought someone needed to hear? How many times did we allow the, the disappointment of what we were going through cause us just not even to engage with God in dreaming? Through talking, I know many of us in this room, if you were to accurately and honestly describe your relationship with Jesus right now, it's... That's the youth translation. <laughs> it's struggling. You're, you're like, God, I, 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 I still believe and I still love you, but man, I'm just not experiencing what I found. It's just hard and it's tough. Could it be that maybe in areas we're aware of, maybe areas we're unaware of, that we've gone back to the old way, the old self, which Paul said to put off, but we put back on how the world says we should operate. We go to our relationships and we handle them the world, the way the world would say, oh, you deserve that. You should say that. You shouldn't. You need to make sure they finances, how we handle our time. Well, I'm busy. I need this time and this and that. Well, it's mine or whatever it is. Like what areas of our life are we allowing a world that knows nothing of God to tell us how to live our life? What areas do we go back to a limited, small way of living when we have been granted Jesus and this new reality that is not limited to the things the world would be limited to. See, I think oftentimes, and we're going to get into what, again, what does all this old way of living, I think oftentimes when we come to Jesus, it says, trust the Lord God with all your heart, lean not on your understanding, it's all your ways, acknowledge him. We kind of have a list of, list of spiritual duties that comes to mind, okay? This, 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 this. And then there's probably things that don't come to mind. And then there's things that we definitely are just unaware of. They're like, oh, I never would have thought that. I think we can be lulled into a sleep as a church if we relegate and limit Jesus and this new reality to church attendance, possibly our finances, when we can, how we treat people. And there's just kind of a few areas and then we wonder why, sometimes I wonder why, when I then look at my life, when I look at the fruit that I'm living in, I'm like, God, what is this? This looks not anything but a straight path. And Jesus' promise is not like, oh, if you try and do a little bit, I'll just, don't worry, I got you on the rest. You know, it's on me. Figure this out. We look at this old way of living, and I think it, it's because sometimes we come to, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to give God our all? We start with salvation, and there's a couple Christian religious duties that are, that, are, that are actually spiritual disciplines. They're not bad. But when they're void of heart and engagement, void of intention, they can become idols. We see this happens all throughout the Bible. I believe that God is desiring to be Lord of more of your life that maybe we've been living. And again, this isn't a try harder. Friends, I'm trying to bring the good news that you don't have to do this on your own. You don't have to handle conflict on your own. You don't have to handle struggles in your marriage on your own. You don't have to handle finances alone. You don't have to battle the thought life alone. You don't have to battle these things alone. Jesus has made a far greater, more effective, more intimate way of living in Jesus. And it's time that we wake up to that and start living in light of that. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Renovation of the Heart, he kind of describes all for us in a really beautiful way. And we'll go through quickly. Here comes the illustration, guys. You ready? Who's excited? See that hand. Thank you. 
But what does all look like? Because I think it's important to maybe try and define what, what makes up a human. Because if we're called to give all of ourselves to him, we should probably be aware of what that entails. And then look at God, how do you want to come and renew that area of my life as well? And so he starts with the heart. Beautiful, isn't it? This is the sport of us. This is your spirit. This is your will. This is the thing that the Holy Spirit comes and changes when we accept him. This is fully the work of the Holy Spirit. This is Ephesians chapter two, verses four to seven, where it says, you by, by the grace and mercy of God, he saved you, he loved you. And this is where transformation normally starts. When did you give your heart to the Lord? Or when did you, your spirit to the Lord? And your spirit is made alive. This is the switch going on where it says, God, I follow you. Incredible moment. But many of us stop here. And we think that there's some other things that happen, but maybe that'll be in heaven. No, 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 no. There's so much more available to you in Jesus. So we are the heart. This is our spirit. This is where we decide what we will do. I think Dallas Willie talks about sin is involved with the will. And it's not necessarily when you do the action, but it's when you decide in your heart that that is something that you would do or that you would do, or that you will do. It's this, this desire and this will inside of us. It's our spirit that communes and talks to the Lord. This is what Jesus comes to transform. This is part of all. But then there's another layer, our mind. Jesus doesn't just come to transform our heart, but like we talked about, unbelief will lead to disobedience. Wrong thinking will lead to wrong living. And the mind is made up not only of your thoughts, but your feelings, do you know you're absolutely in control of and God expects you to be in control of your feelings? I did not know that. <laughs> I do not like that. I like to feel things. I'm a feeler. <laughs> but it says, hey, listen, what you put before your mind, it's important. And that's why, how can a young man keep his way cured by, by keeping it according to the word of God? That we transform the washing of our mind through the word of God. That's our thoughts, what we think about. Far too often, I've said it before, we don't spend enough time thinking about the things that we think about. Here's a real easy one for the last two years. How many arguments have you won in the mirror? Oh, I'm like 100 no. So good at that. Like, not would say this, not say that, not do this. And yeah, I'll take my groceries, thank you very much. Like, it's just one of those weird, like, what's going through your mind? Do we feel like that is something we should be in control of or that should be submitted to Jesus? Can I tell you that Jesus has made available to you a transformed mind? Oh, that's good news. That you don't need to think the things you used to think. And, and it actually says feelings and thoughts are so connected. If you're feeling a certain way, God says, hey, go back and look at what you're looking at. What are you thinking about? Think about me, contemplate, put me before you and watch your feelings actually begin to change. You can not only, not only do we not need to be led by them, we have the power to control our feelings based on what we put before our minds. This is what God desires us. This is part of all. When I think of the last few years, the discouragement in certain areas, I don't know if we could, oh, this, and oh, we can't plan that. And it's so easy with external things that kind of decide things for us to slip back into an old way of thinking that, that I'm actually limited based on a government's decision or I'm actually limited in, in what I can expect or this or that. It's not shaped by the good news of the gospel that I have all of the resource of heaven, that I am adopted as a son, that Jesus has a plan and a purpose that hasn't been thwarted by the last two years. He saw it coming. What does it look like to submit our feelings and our mind, to not allow our thoughts or our feelings to dictate our worship and what we worship? Then it goes on past that. Body, really don't like this one. <laughs> Do you know that part of all Again, it's not just, we are not just concepts, hearts, and feelings floating around. God took those suckers and put it in a physical body, right? How we interact, this is very connected to this. What Jesus is saying is, hey, listen, if you believe, but you don't do, you don't actually believe. And part of all is not just to have right believing, it's also that it gets into right thinking that will lead to right living, 
That how we operate, how we interact with these physical bodies, that's part of trusting God with all. That goes to what you put in your body, unfortunately. Uh, that goes into, and it doesn't matter how much you pray, those carbs will not turn into nutrients. Um, and it goes into, I've tried. Um, in how we interact, it's our, our conversation with people, it's what we do. Put it this way, your schedule trying to decide if I want to say something or not. Can you love God with all of your heart? <laughs> Thank you for the, that's my decision. A little jeopardy. Do, 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 do. Oh boy. Can you say you're loving and trusting God with your whole heart if you refuse to slow down and take a Sabbath? But you don't understand, I got bills. You don't understand, I got a business. Now you don't understand. Whose understanding is that? Because I believe to walk and lead our lives in a schedule that violates Sabbath is to say that God, when he asked us to Sabbath, was not omniscient or not beyond time and all-knowing, that he didn't understand what it would be like to live in 2022. Therefore, I, I think I, I, I can know better. Oh, I go to church this and that and... And again, I'm not saying, I'm not going to say hey, we go back and legalistic in this, but I, but I think the principle of Sabbath, a 24-hour period of rest, says way more about what we trust than anything else. Your time and your money will tell you where your values are. And for the sake of you, it's a blessing to you. It's not to prove how good, how much we love God. He goes, man, this is going to bless your life. That's part of it, how we operate in our bodies what we think about our bodies, what we decide about our bodies, if we desire to try and change our bodies, that's part of all. That's part of trusting. It goes on further from that. This one's been a little bit difficult in the last two years for our society. It goes into the next one. Social. <laughs> Not only our bodies, but as we interact with people, this is the social interactions that part of all means how your relationships operate should be in light of the fact that Jesus has created a new reality. The new reality in Jesus should make us what is available to you. And this, I think, may be one of those things that we work towards, but we never fully get there to heaven, is that in this new reality, you can be unoffendable. Because Jesus has given you everything and no one owes you anything. I'm not there yet. I'm offended when they get my name wrong in the Starbucks because I'm already upset that I'm there. <laughs> what we talk about, our relationships, how, and man, I've been more convicted than ever. The last two years have taught me and lulled me into sleep going back to an old way of thinking to think that I actually don't really need many people. To think that I could actually ever fulfill the call of God in my life without people in it. I'm not just talking about being around people. I'm talking about people that would be close. People that would sharpen me. Jesus all throughout the Bible says, you can't claim to love your neighbor and say, hate your neighbor and love God. When we get a picture of what Jesus has done for all of us, you cannot treat people outside of that. If we constantly or find ourselves falling back in the way of treating people outside as someone who's not loved by God, as someone who doesn't have God's best interest, someone who isn't also in heavenly places, new realities, we don't need to try harder. We need to go back and believe differently about what Jesus says about his creation. Our relationships, how we handle conflict, how we handle friendship, how we handle sex, how we handle dating, how we handle every interaction we have with someone else. Jesus has a better way of doing it than you and I do. That's good news. Yes, it takes some trust and sometimes waiting for that spouse. This It can be hard, but are you gonna trust in your own understandings? Or are you gonna trust, say, hey God, like, I just believe it. Now, come on, some of you guys need to ask a girl out on a date. He ain't gonna do it for you, but there's process. This is partnership, but our social lives, our relationships, that's part of all. You can't hate a brother or sister and claim to love Jesus. 
You're not trusting him with all then. Now, I'm not naive to think, oh, everything's going to be lovey-dovey. There's never going to be an issue. But how we handle that, when we learn to, if Jesus is our, our example, how he handled it, that's part of all. It's part of trust. It's saying, God, I don't want to. They need to know. Says God, I trust that your way of handling conflict and relationships is so much better. And without you, I'd be limited to defend myself. But now I know in Christ, you've already won. And now you're defending me, so I don't need to. Because I'm seated in heavenly places. I'm adopted. I'm fully loved. Even when I made terrible mistakes, God, you loved me first. So I don't need to expect other people to do what you never expected me to do. This begins to change us. And to kind of wrap it all up, this last one is our soul. And I will admit, this is one of the most confusing ones to try and identify. Um, even in Dallas Willard's book, it was a little bit this, but how you put it is the soul kind of encapsules all of this. This is kind of who you are in all of these different spheres. The, even the psalmist, he almost speaks to the soul as a third person. It's like, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. It's kind of the outworking of all of these things tied together. Again, as diagrams, they're imperfect. All of these things kind of interact in different ways, and one's not more important than the other. Like they, they all, they're all part of all. But as we look at this, as we evaluate these, do you see maybe how difficult to trust the Lord, the God, with all your heart? The way we think the way we feel, to lean not on your understanding of how to get your basic needs, love, acceptance, safety, friendship, whatever it is. My body, my soul, my soul. You see, what I'm really grateful for, though, is Paul in Ephesians 4, what he's not saying is figure it out and try harder. <laughs> I think there's something that I actually miss many times reading this passage. I think brings incredible freedom to you and I. I'm also going to call an audible. We're going to go back into that last song once we come up. So, Elena, you can come up just with keys and then worship team in a second. I'll invite you up. Um, but Ephesians 2, 22 to 24, we've read it, but I want to just point something else out. So it's to put off your old self. We've talked about that all, heart, mind, body, social, soul, every aspect of us as, as people. Which belongs to the former manner of life, used to live as if God didn't exist, but now all of those areas, God in through his word gives us instruction and empowerment to live differently. And there he's got a much better way of living. And between putting off and putting on, there's this beautiful verse 23. It says to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And what we think and how we see it, kind of going back to that mind, that the Gentiles lived in the futility of their minds. But Jesus comes by his Holy Spirit to bring renewal in our minds. And how we think and what we think about our heart, what we think about our relationships, and what we talk and how we feel that, that God desires there to be a renewal. And there's a beautiful thing in this to be renewed. This word is present and passive tense. And if you're like me, you're like, great, what does that mean? It's present, which means it's always happening. For us in the room that have followed Jesus a little bit longer than others, the temptation could be that I have put off before and I put on and I'm good. And then we can actually come to the conclusion that our mind is in no need of Jesus. We know all the biblical principles. We just live according to that. But this word in the middle kind of defeats that for us. It says there's an on, if you're ever fully going to put off, put on, and live in a manner worthy, there's an ongoing process of renewing your mind, renewing your heart, renewing your body, renewing how you talk, renewing these things. It's a constant, ongoing renewal that happens. And it's also a past tense, or sorry, a, a passive. 
It's present and it's passive, which means you can't do it. It means, the passive means that there's some outside force that has to perform this verb to you. That you can't decide you're gonna renew yourself. You can't. So Paul is saying, there's a renewing, an ongoing process that we must submit to that only God can do and change you. And as you go through that renewal, you become the type of person that starts to live and put on this new incredible living based on this new reality. And we see this beautiful word renewal in the story of Israel in our own hearts. See, renewal happens renewing. That starts at the heart at the beginning. We didn't have anything to do with that. And the people of Israel, God takes them, delivers them out of Egypt, feeds them manna and bread, splits the Red Sea. He said, they had no part in this. They just, oh, there's the fire. Let's follow it. He's doing this for them completely. The manna comes, the pillar of fire, the pillar of smoke, all these things. Then they cross another river. And then what happens? The manna stops. God's still there. He's still directing. But there comes a point in the relationship between Yahweh and Israel where God was no longer going to do all of the work. He was going to call them to things that were impossible for them, but possible with God, but absolutely needed their participation. They had to walk around the walls and God brought them. They had to organize themselves in tribes. They had to go and actually fight these battles. And what's interesting, the manna didn't stop as part of disobedience. We have a father that knows you and knows me and wants to see us grow up into the maturity of Jesus to live fully into this new reality that God has called us to. So yes, there's certain things that God will do in your heart and he does all on his own because he loves you. But family, please don't lull yourself into a passive relationship with Jesus where you think if you can just do enough religious duties, God will take care of the rest. No. There is a partnership. Romans 6 says that we offer ourselves as living sacrifice. Our body doesn't offer itself. There's a partnership with Holy Spirit and his empowerment that we're called to live in. So what does that look like? It means the area of your relationships should never go just left. Say, God, what areas of my relationships do you need me to change? I don't know how. I had this the other day where the Lord brought up something and I realized like, God, man, my heart's really wrong in this. And the honest prayer, I was talking to Katie about it later. I said, my prayer right now, babe, is like, God, I, don't, I know this is wrong, but I don't know what to do to change it. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have a verse in the scripture for this. So the prayer was, God, help me. Show me. Do whatever you need to do, because I know I can't do this, but you have my obedience. Would you help me? To love the Lord your God with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. That entails acknowledging all of your ways and allowing Holy Spirit to point out the areas where we are still living according to a limited sinful life, not into the freedom and the empowerment of our new reality. And we say, oh, Jesus, would you help me with that? Whatever you need me to do, I'm in. We're people of the word. We're people of worship. We're people of relationship. We're people where iron can sharpen iron. But I think sometimes, like, oh, I go to church, oh, this issue's fine, you know, if Jesus tells me to, sure. But we can't just live on principle. It's relationship. Yes, we live on principle, but that, that's a baseline. What happens to us if we do? Oh, I love this last verse. This is the result when we learn to put off, go through a continual process of partnering and renewal. Verse 24. It says it will be created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Did you start to look more like Jesus? He recreates us so that in a broken, hurt world, when they see you, 
They don't see you, they see Jesus. That you're living a life that doesn't make any sense apart from God being real and his word being true. It dumbfounds the mind that has an existence apart from God because your existence is based on the reality that there is a God. And from that point, everything else submits. And we see that Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything he didn't already do. As he came and he trusted the Lord with all of his heart, Jesus didn't go around trying to do what he wanted to do. He lived a life that said, God, I'm gonna trust you for all of my needs. In all of his ways, Jesus made it very clear that everything he did was not based on his will, but the will of the Father. And in all of his ways, acknowledging him, leaning not on his own understanding, he was God. He was a pretty wise guy. But in his humanity that he lived in, he submitted himself to the wisdom of heaven, not the wisdom of the world. He had so many opportunities to build his own kingdom all throughout his ministry in the Gospels. But Jesus understood what all was. So my question to you today is what's missing in your all? If you'd stand to your feet. As I started by saying family, Princeton, online, in the room, we're not okay, but that's okay because Jesus is aware. And in the areas we're willing to acknowledge, to mature in our faith, to say, Jesus, I don't wanna live limited Oh God, would you help me trust that your word is true still for me? And would you show me how to be renewed so that I can live in the reality of the good news of the gospel? Friends, if there's any condemnation in your heart, understand that's not from Jesus. My heart and my hope today is that your eyes would be open to how good the good news is for you today not just for your eternal resting place, but your Monday and your Thursday, that every aspect, all of you is available to have Jesus come and renew. So I'd love to simply, some of you, maybe you know what it is, but to simply take a moment, pause and ask Holy Spirit, where do I need you to continue to renew me? There might be a few areas and this isn't a quick prayer and that's it. I want you to commit to say, God, I'm, I'm willing to give you all, understanding that I, right now I don't even know how to give you all. What a beautiful prayer. God, I know I, I need to give you all. I know I haven't. I know I want to, but I don't know how. But you have my commitment to learn how, to submit to whatever it takes to learn in every area of my life with all of my heart, all my ways, to love you. Simply close your eyes, just ask Holy Spirit, Lord. What's missing in my all? anytime Jesus points something out, take a minute, just repent. What a beautiful gift of the gospel that we can do that. Father, would you forgive me? For the areas where I go back to my own understanding, Try and wrestle things down under my own strength. Lord, you know how weak I am. You're aware. I'm just so sorry that you forgive me.
Lord, would you show me how to live different? Would you teach me how to live in light of this new reality that you've given me? I don't need anything because you've given me everything, God. We love you, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you're gentle. We thank you that you're kind. We thank you that you are more than capable and able to partner with our hearts, our bodies, our minds, our souls, to see your kingdom come. We love you. God, we pray that you would walk with us, that we would learn to walk following the leader in a manner that's just worthy of everything that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we'll actually end it there. So I want to encourage you at some point this week, you might need to journal some stuff out. You might need to call someone up, ask some questions. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.